Shall we sell some dead bodies? Welcome to the What's and All podcast. I'm Susie Edge, medical doctor and historian, and I'm just fascinated by how we've treated the human body in life and in death. But let's face it, mostly in death. This week, as requested, we're going to talk about Burke and Hare, the Edinburgh murderers who sold bodies to Dr Robert Knox at his anatomy school in the 1820s. First, though, I want to say a huge thank you to my patrons over on Patreon. Without you, I couldn't put this podcast out into the world. Take time to write the book, the Mortal Monarchs book, more news on that soon, or create the projects that I also have on the go. So to those of you to whom I own t-shirts, they're on their way. But the best news is that the Mortal Monarchs book, which I feel like we're writing together, has been bought by Wildfire, an imprint of the publisher's headline, and already... They have it available for pre-order on Amazon and the book dispensary. Links are going to be in my bios, on my social media and on my webpage at susieedge.com. When I made a TikTok video not so long ago, I said that everyone's heard of Burke and Hare. But there were a lot of people who replied saying to me that they hadn't. And can I tell them more? Also, Sonia, who was here at the History Club episode, she voted for Burke and Hare as well. So let's do it. Near the city of Edinburgh, in 1827, two Irishmen met in a drinking establishment. They became friends, drinking buddies and gruesome accomplices. They were not, as many say, body snatchers, but they were just murderers. In the 1820s, across England and Scotland and at Trinity in Dublin, anatomists and doctors and medical students needed cadavers, dead bodies, to learn their trade. Their trade was surgery, and knowing how the human body was made and worked was really important. The only way to learn was to dissect or cut open bodies and to practice skills and new techniques on the dead. The bodies needed to be as fresh as possible before the rot set in. There were some bodies available to the doctors officially. In England, Henry VIII had said that six bodies of executed criminals could be made available each year. In Scotland, James IV did the same. He also gave barber surgeons the licence to distill aqua vitae. Good lad. So James and Henry had that in common, though they fought to the death of James over other matters. Anyway, suicide victims and orphans, unclaimed, they could be used as well. But there just weren't enough bodies to go around. It wasn't like... When I studied anatomy, we had our cadaver, five of us students, around the table for a whole year. With modern preserving techniques, we were not concerned that putrefaction might set in, sloughing off skin, turning everything green, causing a stink so bad. Instead, these early 19th century anatomists, they had to move fast. There was a system. The easily degraded body parts had to be dealt with first, the viscera first, moving on to the limbs later. That system we still used ourselves, though we had no worries of our kindly donated cadavers rotting. The system remained. For Robert Knox and his students, the answer was to find more bodies, by snatching or having them snatched, from newly dug graves mostly, but also by accepting any that happened to show up in a tea chest or two. No questions were asked. As much as £10 could be made for delivery of a fresh body. Taking one was not an offence early on. Only taking items buried with the body was considered 
grave robbery, but later doctors could get into trouble, and so it became less of a risk to pay others to get their hands dirty. Watchtowers would soon spring up, where family members could stay and keep an eye on the graves of loved ones until they knew enough time had passed, and that the flesh would no longer be of use. Mort safes or iron cages would be placed over graves, or metal collars fixing the bodies in place would be attached. It's a bit of a thought, isn't it, having to watch over the body of a loved one until you knew they were rotten. Some people, though, they would bypass the grave stage and they went straight to the dissection tables. They were murdered for the purpose of making money from anatomists. Up step are famous murderers William Burke and William Hare. At Hare's lodging, a man named Old Donald, an army pensioner, became ill and died of dropsy. Dropsy's a rather old-fashioned term now. It means a build-up of fluid in the tissues. Now we would describe it according to the underlying condition that causes it, like heart failure, for instance. Old Donald died owing Hare four pounds. So Hare had a body to get rid of, and so the pair became accomplices. They removed the body from its coffin and took it to the anatomy school and were directed to Knox. Upon payment for the goods that were gratefully received, they were told that there was further opportunity should they have more wares to sell. The body of old Donald went to the dissection rooms for demonstration and Burke and Hare went to the pub for a pint. Selling an unclaimed body to the anatomy scholars was easy money. There must be more where that came from. And so things took an even darker turn. William Burke was born in Ireland and joined the British Army as a teenager. He was married later in County Mayo, but fell out with the family and left them for Edinburgh. There he met Helen MacDougall, known as Nellie. My mum was a MacDougall. I wonder if we're related. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Less is known of William Hare. Nothing about his birthplace or his age. He is talked about less favourably in the accounts that I've read. The pair, now tasting the success of a sale, wanted more of the same. But people were not going to just oblige by dropping down dead. In January of 1828, as winter froze the city, a tenant of Hare's at his lodgings, a miller named Joseph, did become sick with fever. Birkenhare gave him whiskey and smothered him with a pillow. Not all accounts agree on whether or not Joseph was the first of their victims, but he may have been. In February, enjoying the money earned from smothering Joseph, the pair struck again. Abigail Simpson was a salt seller. She was given drink and suffocated to death. Her body ended up under the knife for the sum of ten pounds. To hold a victim down whilst another suffocated them with a hand over nose and mouth became known as burking. Burking leads to asphyxia, the hypoxic state of the body. Hypo meaning low, and oxic referring to oxygen. See, starting with insufficient supply of oxygen because Burke and Hare were sitting upon them, preventing air from getting in or out, and ending with the failure of cells themselves due to the lack of oxygen. The suffocation was therefore twofold. With a heavy set man sitting on your chest, you'd find it very hard to move the chest wall and provide the drawing in of air that chest wall and diaphragm movements create. But also with prevention of air getting into the airways to begin with, oxygen levels would fall and carbon dioxide levels would rise, hypercapnia. 
The clinical response of the body is mostly due to the rising levels of carbon dioxide and acute respiratory acidosis. Their pulses would be racing and they'd be fighting to ventilate faster as the chemoreceptors read the signal of rising CO2. As the victims were sat upon, they would have become cyanotic, blue and purple in the hands and fingers and on the mucous membranes around the mouth. Consciousness is lost within seconds, and damage to the brain in a minute or two is irreversible. Hypoxic bleedings can occur into the sclera that turn the eyes red, but that happens in prolonged states of suffocation. They were probably too quick for that. Either way, Knox and his dressers and students denied any suspicion until later when they were up in court. It wasn't all sweet business relations between the two men. When Burke and MacDougall had been away, they returned to find that Hare was wearing new clothes that they knew he couldn't afford. He denied selling anybody to Knox, but Knox confirmed otherwise, and the pair fell out. Burke went to stay with John Brogan, a cousin, I think, a couple of streets away. Brogan had helped carry a tea chest or two and was himself a really interesting character. We'll come back to him later. It wasn't long before the partners were at it again. They liked having the money. They even killed a relative of Nellie's, Anne MacDougall. But their spending was starting to be noticed, and so too were their victims. A lad named James Wilson, known locally as Daft Jamie, was distinctive in having club feet. He was known for begging on the streets. Jamie was recognised by the medical students, and news of him being missing was spreading. Knox removed his head and his feet quickly so that he wouldn't be recognised and dissected the body first thing. Here we are into the second part of Act 2 of this story, but it's the good guys that are starting to close in. Margaret Doherty, another victim, was lured into drinking at Brogan's lodging house when Burke told her that they were from the same part of Ireland. It was with the dispatching of Margaret Doherty that things unravelled. See, there were other lodgers there, the Greys, who were in the way, and they were told to go and stay at Hare's lodging overnight, as there was going to be partying with this family member. When they returned later, they became suspicious of Burke's behaviour, and on searching the bedroom, they found Margaret's dead body. While the Greys went to the police, Burke and Hare took her body to Knox. The police came, they found blood-stained sheets, and upon questioning they got different accounts of timings from Burke and Nellie. The police found Margaret Doherty in Knox's dissection rooms. She was identified by Grey, and it was enough to make arrests. In order to reach a conviction, prosecutors offered William Hare immunity if he turned King's evidence, which is a wonderfully dramatic expression, meaning that uh, he would be free if he confessed to everything and turned on his accomplices, and so he did. It was Burke and MacDougall who were charged with murder. The trial took place on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and on Christmas Day in 1828, Burke was found guilty. Nellie's charge was not proven. Lord Justice Clerk David Boyle told William Burke, Your body should be publicly dissected and anatomised, and I trust that if it is ever customary to preserve skeletons, yours will be preserved, in order that posterity may keep in remembrance your atrocious crimes. MacDougall was later released, but was chased from town by an angry mob. 
And so on the 28th of January 1829, a large crowd gathered to watch as William Burke was hanged for the murders. You could pay a few shillings to get a good view from a tenement window, looking down onto the scaffold. Thousands turned up to watch the hanging. Medical students who had tickets could watch the dissection, but many more turned up. A riot nearly happened. It was put down when it was agreed that they could all walk past the spectacle, fifty at a time. So many must have seen that happening. Professor Munro, who carried out the dissection, dramatically dipped a quill pen in Burke's blood and wrote with it. This is written with the blood of William Burke, who was hanged at Edinburgh. This blood was taken from his head. The skeleton, as suggested by Boyle, was preserved and is still there at Edinburgh Medical School. The remains of the body would have to be boiled down to get those pesky stuck-on soft tissue pieces away. A death mask was also made, and a little notebook bound in the killer's skin, and they can be seen at Edinburgh's Surgeon's Hall Museum. As for Hare, he got away. A mob caught up with him, but he fled to England and was never heard of again. As for Robert Knox, he denied all knowledge. He claimed his understanding was that Burke and Hare merely scanned the boarding houses and lodgings and brought him bodies of those newly deceased of natural causes. Though he was not charged with anything, and I suspect got away with it because of his status, the public turned against him and things didn't really end well for Robert Knox. The problem of murdering and body snatching was by no means limited to Edinburgh, although Edinburgh does have a good tourist trade on the back of it 200 years later. There were other murders, other attempts to sell bodies, and snatching continued. Copycat murderers were hanged or earned themselves a one-way ticket to Australia. The Anatomy Act of 1832 was a necessary response to all of these problems. It changed how cadavers could be procured, which remains relevant today, as medical students and surgeons still need to learn and train with bodies. I remain grateful to the people who donated their bodies so that I might study their anatomy and learn new skills, knowing that they hadn't been murdered. I did say that we'd talk about John Brogan. His death mask is really interesting and shows how his face and neck had been disfigured. As a youngster, John Brogan suffered severe burns in an accident that affected his neck. As he grew, the skin of his neck contracted so much that it pulled down on the skin of his lower face. It was enough to pull down and distort his jaw and the skull underneath. His bottom lip fully dragged down and his lower teeth were sticking out at 90 degrees. It's hard to imagine how John could eat or drink. It must have been incredibly painful. Nowadays, plastic surgery can deal with such an issue, but in 1800 he was stuck with it, and his death mask, also held at Surgeon's Hall Museum, is sober viewing. If Edinburgh is a little out of your way, you can Google the image and read on the museum site about his history. There's a movie by Simon Pegg called Burke and Hare. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it was good fun, as I remember. I need to shout out and thank Susie Lennox of Digging Up 1800, who I feel like I've been stalking a bit lately, but her enthusiasm is infectious and you can hear her talk about body snatching and the like on Instagram or at her podcast Digging Up 
1800. She's cost me a fortune in all the books I keep buying from her recommendations. Thank you, Susie. Thanks again to my patrons. You can see what we're up to there at patreon.com slash Edge. You can find me on TikTok and Twitter, both at Edge, and on Instagram at suze.edge. You can now pre-order Mortal Monarchs on Amazon.co.uk and the book dispensary for now. There are links on my social media sites and my website at suzyedge.com. If you have a t-shirt or a mug asking everybody, shall we open up another coffin or dig up another body? Please share a picture of it wherever you are in the world. I love to see them and I love the idea of, <laughs> I love the idea of you having to explain them. Next time on the Warts and All podcast, we're going to take a deep dive. Okay, maybe that's the wrong phrase, but we're going to look at how the victims of the Titanic and the white ship disasters met their ends in the freezing waters. It'll be a bit medical, that one. Looking forward to it. This has been the Warts and All podcast, written and produced by me, Susie Edge, with artwork by Catherine Edge. She's pretty good, isn't she? Love to you all. See you soon. <laughs>